Hey, creative, if you love the show and it has meant a lot to you, could you do me a favor? Would you share it with somebody that you care about? Your friend, your mom, your lover, whoever it is, because podcasts really are spread person to person. And I don't know about you, but the ultimate influencers in my life are my friends and family. So if all of you could share the podcast with just one person, it would make a massive difference in our creative community, grow it, and we can all help support and lift each other up and get toward our dreams even faster. So please, if you have time today and you feel so compelled, share the show with a friend. Oh, also, if you have time, feel free to like pop on over to Apple and leave it a rating and review and a rating on Spotify. Okay. Love you. Are you sleepwalking through life? Is there something you're yearning for, but you're avoiding trying it due to fear? How could you live a truer, more beautiful life? And how might that life help you unleash? Today's guest took a beautiful leap to live a life that felt more true. And in the midst of that, he found his most authentic voice and creativity, and he can help you do the same. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer, songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. And this show is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Judd Harris. He's a singer-songwriter and American Idol season four finalist. He's been featured in Rolling Stone, The Village Voice, People Magazine, and CNN. He's open for artists such as Wyclef John and Jesse McCartney, and he also did an unbelievably amazing duet with Billy Joel of Billy's song, Baby Grand, which went viral on TikTok with half a million views. If you listen to one of the most recent Unleash episodes featuring Sarah Knight, you might have heard Judd's name come up because he is, in fact, Sarah's husband. And in learning about Judd's story, I wanted to have him on the show because he really has a journey of starting from the ground up in the music industry. And he also has this incredible tenacity to keep going and find his true voice. He has an upcoming EP that is his first solo project, and all of the songs that are on it came from when he challenged himself to write 30 songs in 30 days. He will share with you how you can do a similar creative challenge and what it might unlock for you. From today's chat, you'll learn the power of authenticity, the antidote to cynicism, how to stop sleepwalking through life, how to trust yourself through the creative process, ways to find a creative community, how to know whether you should keep going, get unblocked, and so much more. Okay. Now here he is, Judd Harris. Judd, thank you so much for being on the show. Also, I'm just so excited to meet you. You are an incredible musician, have an incredible story, and also are the husband of Sarah Knight, who's just on the podcast and is also a very special person in the world and in my life. So honored and thrilled to meet you and be here with you. That's my favorite accolade is being Sarah's husband. (laughs) It's a great accolade, but I love... I mean, I want to get into it, but how much the two of you support each other in your creative journeys? Because I really think you have an incredible partnership that seems like you really spur on and support each other's dreams in a major way, which is so huge. Absolutely. But I want to go back to the beginning of Judd, where your music dreams started. What was your initial dream with music? Can you just give us a brief overview of your music journey from then until now? Sure. So... I would say that my journey started when I started. I've been singing since I was a little kid. My family was very musical. We used to sing in the car together on road trips to Florida to visit my mom's family from New Orleans, where I grew up. 
And I guess that's really part of my story too, is growing up in New Orleans. There's this whole canon of music that lives in New Orleans that everybody from there knows songs that are played every Mardi Gras. And of course, Jazz and Heritage Festival happens every year. So I think that was a big part of my musical beginnings. Eventually, I ended up in the world of theater. And I went to New York University to the Tisch School of the Arts to pursue musical theater. I did graduate from NYU with my degree in theater, which is perhaps not always the most useful degree, but anyway. Well, I also have one, so you're in good company. I have a BFA good, in good. acting, BA in communication. I think it is actually pretty useful though. Like I feel like I use my acting degree every day because it really taught me how to understand people, be adaptable, deal with rejection. You know, I yeah, think you're right. people make it seem like, oh, it's just a waste. But like, if you're going to get a college degree anyway, it's a lot of fun. And also it's difficult and gives you tenacity. But yeah, it's not like a tangible skill like engineering. So that is true. Well said. So I went to NYU when I graduated. I did some theater and realized pretty quickly that it wasn't really where I wanted to focus my creative efforts and music was. So what got me into theater in the first place was the opportunity to be on a stage singing and so I ended up in a bunch of different bands in New York City, and the most notable being Visible from Space. So Visible from Space was a band that I was in and performing with around New York City. We were a Best of New York entry in the Village Voice. And during that time, I decided to audition for American Idol. So that obviously was the beginning of an interesting journey all to itself, but I was on American Idol. I was in the top 24. I think I was the number 22, number 20, one of those out of the competition. And then I came back to New York after being on the show and continued on with Visible from Space until eventually Sarah and I decided to change our life. And we made a big decision after an acquaintance of ours passed away in his 30s. And we looked at each other and we said, you know what? We don't get to live forever. Mm. And we only get one shot at this life. And we had always talked about living in the Caribbean. So we started making a plan and we started saving money. And eventually we landed in Las Terrenas in the Dominican Republic, where I am at this moment speaking to you. We built this house that I am sitting in. I didn't know you built the house. Not with my own two hands, but we watched that process unfold. And actually, we kept it a big secret from everybody. So we were secretly looking at our pictures as the house was built. When I arrived here in the Dominican Republic, I realized pretty quickly that I still wanted to make music. So I had a group here called Coda that we played some music around the town and eventually kind of ended up solo. Mm -hmm. So it's been quite a crazy journey from New Orleans to New York to Las Terrenas. And of course, during the lockdown, I started writing a lot of music because I was unable to perform live. And this EP that's coming out right now is the result of a lot of that music that I was writing. And as part of that, maybe it's worth mentioning that I did this 30 songs in 30 days project, which was kind of incredible. And we can talk about that if you like. Oh, I like. <laughs> that was the source of a lot of this music as well. So between living in the Dominican Republic, having a lockdown where I wasn't able to play live and I was trying to improve my guitar abilities and doing this writing project of 30 songs in 30 days, I ended up with a lot of music that I decided to finally release under my own name. This is actually the first music that I've ever released as a solo artist. Yeah, I know it's such a different feeling. I also started out as a musician in a group 
And I remember when I first went out on my own, how naked I felt. So I was like, wow, I'm the only one up here. It's all on me. But it's also a beautiful feeling. You really have to like step into your own worthiness and who you are as an artist to do that. I want to get into all of that. But one thing that you brought up that I think is so interesting and that is clearly like through this new single you have out through the new EP and that you've described as being part of your early music is really taking the sounds of the city around you and incorporating them into your music, whether that's through kind of just osmosis being there or being more intentional about it. Is that something that you intentionally do? Or like, how would you advise somebody who's creating and wants to draw from the place they're in on how to incorporate that into their creative output? So I think probably the best art comes from a really genuine place. So to me, I don't think that you can become anything else. You are what you are. And I think getting more in touch with that probably leads to better art in general. And so for me, and in particular during this 30 days of songwriting that I did, I found out a lot of different styles of music are in me. I've been in New Orleans. I've been in New York. I'm a huge music head. I love listening to music. So all of that stuff gets sort of digested. At some point, it comes back out, and hopefully it comes out in a genuine way. So I think for a long time, I spent a lot of my time trying to be my heroes. Mm. I think that's really common. You love a certain kind of music. You love a particular artist and you want to be like them. There's nothing wrong with that per se. And it certainly has influenced me listening to people like Prince, who I love. But at the end of the day, I don't think you can be your heroes. I think you have to be yourself. And I feel at least like this music that I'm making right now is very much mine. It's an amalgamation of all the music I've loved and listened to and the place I've been. But I didn't purposefully try to bring sort of a Caribbean sound into yeah. what I was doing. I think what I was writing about was an escape to the Caribbean. And so it sort of came out this way. This is sort of the Judd Harris version of what a Caribbean sound would be. I'm not sure if one can do that purposefully or not. Yeah. Well, it sounds like what you did was you were like a sponge to the places that you were in, the places that you loved. You took in the sounds of what was around you and the flavor and the culture of what was around you. And then naturally it came out through your own artistry. But I love that quote that I read of yours. You feel like you used to imitate your heroes and now you finally feel like this music you're putting out now is you. Mm -hmm. How do you get to you? How do you discover who you are as an artist? What does that unveiling look like? Sure. I think for me, it was a process that started when I arrived here. So I started playing with some other musicians. One guy was from Belgium. One guy was from France. And I think coming from New York, musicians in New York have a real chip on their shoulder. They really just have an attitude. And really what it is, is that they have a viewpoint. They like the music they like, and they dislike very strongly the music that they don't. And so I think often when you're in a band in New York City, you'll say, hey, why don't we do music like this? And somebody in the band will be like, oh, you like that? And it's like this attitude. And I really sort of internalized it because I was a part of that sort of New York musician scene. And when I got here, all of that went away. So here I am with this Belgian guy and this French guy playing music. And so they would be like, hey, why don't we try this song? And I would say, I think that's maybe a little bit cheesy. Well, they didn't even know what that term meant. They didn't even understand what I was talking about. <laughs> and so little by little, I kind of just realized that like, if a song works and the audience loves it, is there anything wrong with that? 
I don't think there is. If you're connecting with people and they're having a great time and you're enjoying what you're doing, that is important. I sort of let down a lot of the defense mechanisms that you develop as a musician in New York City. And so through that process, I think I got to the point where I realized something about myself, and that is that I'm not cool, or at least I don't want to think of myself as cool, because I think when I'm trying to be cool, I'm actually trying to be something else that's not me. Ooh, I love that. Also, trying to be cool makes us boring, because authenticity is actually what's cool. Even if that authenticity is dorky or whatever it is, like, that's what people lean into. And what a great takeaway. I'm curious, how did you find those guys to collaborate with? Because I think that this is a tough skill is to find your creative community wherever you are. And especially when you've moved as an adult, how did you go about finding the Frenchman and, and the man from Belgium? <laughs> well, for better or for worse, Las Terrenas is a tiny place. It's just a little fishing village that's become a little expat community as well. And so there's not that many people and it doesn't take long to meet a lot of people and you know somebody who knows everybody, one degree removed from basically everyone in the town. So when I started telling people I'm looking to do music, it was pretty obvious to that they're like, oh, you have to talk to this guy and you have to talk to this guy. Like there's not that many people in the town. So it really wasn't actually that hard here. In New York City, I think it's a lot more isolating and a lot more difficult. And I actually met like my greatest musical collaborator in New York City through Craigslist, I think. That's our meet cute, <laughs> answering an ad on Craigslist. But yeah, I mean, I think that meeting people here just isn't that difficult because it's mm -hmm. such a small place and there aren't that many options. And maybe that's a good thing in a way. As a creative process, I think that helps too to kind of narrow the scope a little bit. For sure. I can make sort of an analogy between those two things. Yeah. And I think it's also just a good reminder that telling people what you want to do and who you are increases the likelihood that you'll meet the people that you want to collaborate with. I want to go back to your journey a little bit, though. So, you know, you go to NYU, you graduate. I'm sure there were some odd jobs along the way or things you did to help support yourself. I'm curious, what sort of jobs did you do in between pursuing music? And how did you keep the passion alive while you were supporting yourself with these other jobs in addition to doing the music? That's a great question, because there are a lot of things that I've done in my day. After I graduated, I waited tables, I bartended, I sold salon products on the street. Wow. I would stop people on the street and sell them. I'd be like, hey, excuse me, I have a quick question for you. And if you've been to New York City, you may have run into these guys. So that was a pretty crazy experience being on the street in New York selling salon packages. And then eventually I moved into real estate, which has been a great way to make money while I'm also being creative and pursuing a music thing. There's so much flexibility there. So I think the way that I have sort of looked at it as far as keeping that fire going, like you asked, I don't really have a choice. I wish I could stop, honestly. Like it would be a lot easier to go through life and just want to make money and not have to worry about all of these creative pursuits. But I have no choice. Every time I stop for a while, I find myself falling back into it again. I just can't help it. I don't think that it's really a choice at all. I just can't not do it. Yeah, I think that's because it's part of who you are. And I think that that's the difference between pursuing something just as a career and pursuing something just for money and something that is actually it runs through everything you do. I feel like that with music, too. I think I would get actually sick if I stopped like physically ill because it's like cutting off a piece of who you are. 
that said, you said there were times when you kind of paused. Were there any times when you almost gave up? And how did you then keep going? Hi, Creative. You know that consistently creating new content isn't easy, and it requires a lot of focus and energy. It can be hard to find balance. Too much energy from caffeine, and you feel amped up and anxious AF instead of feeling dialed in. Well, luckily, I found Magic Mind. It's great because it brings energy, focus, and calmness all in one product. I still love my coffee, but Magic Mind has really helped me cut back. Now, instead of reaching for a second or third cup, I drink this little green shot full of matcha, nootropics, and adaptogens when I hit that afternoon lull around 3 p.m. I really love it because it makes me more productive and more focused. I get more done in less time thanks to the nootropics inside that improve attention, concentration, and cognition. It also helps me feel calm. My favorite ingredient is ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that reduces stress and anxiety. Before a recent interview I did on the podcast, I was feeling just completely depleted. I took a little shot and it really made me feel calm. It eased my anxiety and it helped me give one of the best interviews I think I've done to date. If you want to up your productivity and energy levels without the jitters and caffeine crashes, go check out Magic Mind at magicmind.com slash innercreative and use my code innercreative20 for 20% off your first order. I think sometimes life gets in the way. You just have a lot going on. You're starting a new job and you have to really devote yourself to it for a while or whatever it is. Life gets in the way. And I wouldn't say that I ever had the thought in my head, I'm going to try to give this up. It would just be that I happened to find myself in the middle of a busy time in my life and there wasn't as much time to devote to music. But time and time again, it just kept coming back. At some point, I would realize, oh, I need to be doing this again. Like, this is the thing that makes me happy. So I think that's what that's about. And then what are your tips for dealing with, because there are those moments of disappointment. You know, you thought something was going to go one way. It goes another. How do you deal with disappointment and then move back toward the love? It's a great question, especially as pertains to American Idol. So I felt like I climbed to the top of the mountain. I was recognized on the street and all that stuff that comes with fame. And it's kind of a head trip to be in that place. And you're very unceremoniously just chucked off the mountain just like that. And that was tough. I have to be honest, like it was a very difficult time for me when that ended, because it did feel kind of existential, like this was the end of my ability to make music. And yet at the same time, I already had this band, but somehow it felt like the end for a while. And I think eventually you just realize that being famous is not a goal in your musical life, in your creative life, whatever it is. I mean, maybe it is for some, and I have no problem with that. If they want to be famous, you know, go for it, I say. But for me, I think it was just realizing that like holding myself to that kind of a standard that like I can't be successful unless I'm at the absolute tippy top, I'm Harry Styles or something. That's just not going to lead to a happy life. And you get to decide what your definition of success is. And I think that was a big lesson for me, was realizing that, like, I just want to make music and I want to enjoy it. I think sometimes we get in our head, we can feel really bad about performing, we can feel really bad about how a show went. And I, at some point, realized that, like, if this isn't fun, I need to just stop doing it. Like, why are you doing it if you're not enjoying it? And so that was really freeing for me, was just kind of realizing that I could really just focus on having a good time with it. I want to do it at a high level for myself, just as a level of integrity or whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, it's not about 
reaching millions of people. It's about reaching one person at a time. Is that your definition of success today is reaching one person, making them feel something? What is your definition of success today? I think for me, it's more about motivation. There have been times in my life, I'm not a naturally driven person. I'm kind of lazy. I'm just like a go with the flows and kind of relaxed person. And that has sort of manifested itself in me not being able to really put it together and push myself, at least in my own head. So I think for me, it's about being consistent in my efforts toward making music. Because if you stop, and I've done this as we talked about these sort of pauses where I haven't focused on it, you lose a lot of momentum. Mm. And if you keep pushing and keep moving that ball forward just a little bit at a time, every single day, it does sort of gain some momentum. I think to me, the definition of success is just getting up and doing this every day, just moving the ball forward a little bit every day. And that's very attainable. If I can just keep that going, then I'm doing well. Yeah. Something we talk about a lot on the show is mental health. It's something I've been very open about with my struggles. I struggle with anxiety. I've had depression. I think it's a big part of a lot of artists and creative people's journey. How do you tend to your mental health? And have you had any mental health struggles as an artist? And how do you work through them? So I think my biggest challenge as far as being an artist as it relates to mental health is shit talking myself. And to be clear, I have a therapist. It's been life changing. It's been great. I really just think everyone should have a therapist. I know that for some, that's perhaps not something they can afford, but I wish that for everyone. Just somebody who isn't in your life, who you can talk to on a regular basis and just check in with and let them know how you're doing. Somebody who you don't have to feel any shame about talking about how you really feel. You don't have to feel like you're burdening them. It's their job to listen to you. I think it's important. So I've probably made the biggest strides as far as my mental health by talking to a therapist. I realized through the help of a therapist that I was doing a lot of shit talking to myself. I think that I still was holding on in the back of my head to this idea of becoming the most famous musician of all time. I think that I was starting to sort of come to terms with the fact as I get older that maybe that's not going to happen. And so instead of kind of being at peace with it, I was kind of lowering my expectations, which at first seems okay. And then at some point you start being like, well, that's not going to happen anyway. So why would you even worry about it? And then you start, it turns into this cycle of going beyond just lowering your expectations to the point of like, well, you're not good enough and you're not going to be able to do that. So why even try? And then you start doing it in front of other people, maybe. And you're out to dinner with friends and they ask you about this project you're working on, some musical, your band, your show, whatever it is. And you start being like, well, it's not really a big deal. It's just yeah. my little music thing that I do. And you start diminishing yourself and you do it to other people. I was doing it to myself. And so I think realizing that that bad self-talk, that voice in your head, that's so critical, that's so mean, is just not helping you. And when you realize it's you, it's no one else. It's just you talking to yourself you can start to be kind to yourself and realize that you don't have to be mean to yourself. You're doing that for no reason at all. 
Oh, Jed, I relate to what you just said so much. That's been a big one because it's like you do, then you end up bringing in that disappointment or like shaming self-talk into these conversations you're having when it's like you're really actually excited about the project, but you're already dooming the project before it even happens because you're bringing all like however many years of past disappointments to this one conversation instead of just being like, yeah, I have this new song. I'm so excited. I can't wait for people to hear it. I feel you like... I had to catch myself end of 2021. I was like, well, you know, I love music, but it just it hasn't been as successful as I want it to be yet. It's like, well, she's a bummer. <laughs> like, why not talk about what you're excited about? Yeah, maybe you're not where you want to be. Like, no one really is where they want to be. Even the top people in the world could come to a conversation and talk about how, oh, well, you know, I really wanted to win a Grammy last year, but it, So when you realize that. So true. Yeah, there's always another level. There's always another level. And that's what I've learned from working with these big people. And I'm sure you have, too, because you've worked with so many big people. And Sarah has. It's like everybody's striving for something bigger. Even the people who are getting millions of downloads don't understand why they're not getting multi-million downloads. It's like, when does it end? So we really have to find a way to divorce our worth from what we do and just find the joy again. And that's why I think what you're doing now is so beautiful. I love this conversation because it really is kind of a foundational conversation as far as making myself happy in the art that I create. You start to realize that like everybody's just making the music or the art, whatever it is that speaks to them. And it can extend that kindness that to yourself can extend to other people. So I've started just realizing, like, I'm not going to diss on any other creative person. Yeah. If they're finding joy in what they're doing, that's beautiful. And I have nothing to say about that except good for you. And so that gets back to the New York attitude, right? So it's like, why do we turn musicians into bad people? Why do we look at a particular musician and say, that person's making music that I hate And that makes their fans and the person who made that music horrible. You know, you don't have to love, I don't know, what's a good musician that people like to hate on? You know, if it's Kenny G, say, I watched a whole documentary about Kenny G. He's a lovely guy. Very interesting. Very, very focused. What a work ethic. And maybe you don't love that music. And that's okay if it doesn't connect with you. But there's just no reason to diss on Kenny G. He's out there. Millions and millions of people love what he's doing. And he loves what he's doing. That's great. It's beautiful. What's wrong with that? If it doesn't speak to me, okay, fine. Yeah, but there's still something you can learn from Kenny G. You know, like, how did he do it? If people out here are having a hard time making pop music and getting it heard, what instrument is he playing? It's a saxophone. Soprano saxophone, mostly. Just playing a soprano saxophone. Like, my Aunt Karen would blast Kenny G and then clean her whole house and just be in her prime. Like if he could reach my Aunt Karen, what could we do? That's inspiring. So no lyrics, just the soprano sax, Kenny G going for it. So I think, yeah, you're so right. You can find something to like about almost anything that is being made with a pure heart. I love where you're coming from. And I think there are a lot of musicians out there who are in a lot of pain. And I think sometimes we respect the pain that sort of inspired their art. And I'm not a person who lives in pain. I try not to live in pain. I live in a happy place mostly. I'm a pretty positive person. And that, again, is not very cool. And I'm totally okay with that. (laughs) Well, I'm grateful for it. I think we need more positive people. I realized recently one of my least favorite things in life is a lack of enthusiasm. 
It's just, I don't like being around people who can find something bad about literally everything. It makes me sad. I'd rather be around people who see something and think, what's nice about it? It's so much better to be around. So to me, that is cool. Again, I know you keep saying you're not cool, but I think you're extremely cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I do think there's a place for criticism. Yeah, for sure. But one of the lessons I learned during my 30 songs in 30 days was that you cannot be a judge of your material while you are also creating it. You can't do those two things at the same time. And in fact, that to me is probably the definition of writer's block when you're trying to judge and create at the same time. So when I was writing one song per day over 30 days, there was no time to stop and judge it. And in fact, I let myself off the hook. I said, hey, you're going to write a whole song in one day. It does not have to be perfect. You don't have to make it the best song that has ever been written. The idea is just to get a complete song done and just get better at songwriting. That was the whole sort of concept of the project. And in that process of giving myself one day to write a song, usually within like three or four hours, there was no time to judge the lyrics. I just wanted to finish it. So I would write whatever. If I had to rhyme something that was perhaps a bit stock, that's fine. I can come back and look at it later and change it. And in fact, I did. In a lot of cases, I came back to these songs that I wrote, rewrote them, changed the lyrics, changed the verse, changed the chords, whatever it was to make them better. But it was really freeing during the process to just not judge at all, just finish the song. But I also, as a younger person, would write a song and be like, it's perfect and awesome. And I would never change it because I thought it was so great. But I think developing my critical voice was important. Just time and place for criticism is essential. Yeah, I think time and place and also intention, you know, that's a healthy criticism. You're thinking, is there something I'd rather say? Is there a chord that would sound better here? You're not like, oh, this song is so shitty. Like you're you're thinking of it from a perspective of how can I make this more myself? How can I make this sound more like me? I want to talk about the 30 Songs in 30 Days project. Tell me a little bit about it and how it's related to Paul McCartney, because this is a very cool story. Sure. So like a lot of people, especially musicians, I'm sure, when I watched the documentary, the Peter Jackson documentary about the Beatles, I was just so thrilled. I mean, it was just such an absolutely thrilling experience to be a fly on the wall watching the Beatles make an album. And of course, an album that you've heard a million times and that you love and not just make the album, but write some of these songs. And the thrill of watching Paul McCartney sit down and write Get Back is just indescribable. It's unbelievable watching that happen because you know the result, of course. And there he is sitting there hacking away at it, trying to get it right. (laughs) And it's so amazing to watch it happen. So it just reminded me of a story I heard. Somebody told me, and not sure if this is true or not, but Paul McCartney would get up every day, have a coffee, write a song every single day. I don't know if that's true, probably not true anymore. Maybe it was true and not anymore. It doesn't matter. To me, it was watching him write that song. And in one session, basically, he just sat there and kept going until he had a song. And then remembering the story that I heard, I said, you know what? I want to be a better songwriter like Paul McCartney. So I want to write a song every day. And I just sort of came up with this plan to become a better songwriter by writing a song every day. And I didn't actually know how long I would go. I just started doing it. And so I would write a song. I made sure it had all the parts, all the verses, because we often as songwriters will stop 
two verses in a chorus and you're like, I don't know what I want to say after this. So I'll come back to it. Yeah. Second verse curse. That's what they call it. (laughs) I I wouldn't let myself do that. I wrote the entire song and I basically just recorded them into my phone. And then after about a month of this, about 30 days, my wife says to me, what are you going to do with all these songs? (laughs) There she is. (laughs) And I thought, oh, right. There's joy in creating, but there's a whole other fun creative process that can happen after this, which is, of course, recording them. So I started looking for a producer and I had a few other songs that I had written while living down here in the Dominican Republic. And that's sort of how this all came about, this new music that I'm putting out into the world. I watched a TikTok video of yours where you broke down five lessons. I know one of them that you just said is basically separate ideation from idea critiquing. What were some of the other lessons you learned from doing this insane, incredible creative output? That was a big lesson was just sort of the freedom of letting yourself off the hook of being like, these songs do not have to be perfect. I can come back to them later. That was great. I also think I realized that I'm a better songwriter than I thought. I was like, wow, you know what? There's something I love about every one of these songs. And crazy stuff came out. I wrote a bluegrass song. I wrote an emo tune. I wrote all kinds of random things. And that gets back to sort of me digesting all the music I've heard in my life. You know, I maybe had a little Jimmy Eat World in there somewhere that (laughs) wanted to come out. Or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was like sneaking around the corner of my brain wanting to come out. But I liked something about each one. And obviously at the end, I thought I was going to get like one, two good usable songs. I got more like five or six. And that was really eye-opening. So I wanted to ask you, how do you evaluate? Is it just a feeling you get when you decide whether or not a song is going to come out? Because that's something I always think about. Like, I think about all my song babies that are just like floating in the ether. And, you know, it's almost like having a like, you know, when people do IVF and they've got like kids in the freezer. I think about that with my music. (laughs) Like, how do you decide what one you're actually going to put out and birth into the world? Those poor, chilly little kids. I know. I think about that. And also like this is we're taking a side tangent right now. But does that do something like I know somebody who had fetuses in the freezer for 10 years before she used them. Like, what does that do to a human? The first 10 years of their life, they were frozen in time. We'll get to that on another podcast. But right now I want to talk about your song, baby. It's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. I do have a lot of song babies. I think maybe recording is a good answer. What I mean is if you have all of these song pieces and you want to make a record, you're going to have to finish them, you know? Yeah. And so that's sort of what the 30 songs in 30 days was about pressure. I put pressure on myself to be creative. And I think sometimes we think that we have to just sort of like be open to the universe and the songs will come and That was another lesson for me was just that if you put a little pressure on that creative process, I think sometimes you can make it happen. You can sort of create the environment for your creativity to grow. And so whether that pressure is writing one song a day, whether that pressure is I have to make this record, I want a certain number of songs. So I want to finish the ones that are in the freezer, as it were. That to me, that pressure was great, especially as, you know, a type B person, not a super driven guy. I can be a little lazy about it. Do you really think you're lazy? Because I don't think you're lazy. I feel like you are just a person who goes with the flow of life from everything you've expressed and described. I think that I started out life with a lot less gumption than I have now. I think it didn't maybe come naturally to me. So I've had to work at it. 
I'm curious because Sarah is very type A. You two actually remind me of me and my boyfriend. Like, he's very much more like go with the flow, like let's relax, let's hang out together. And I'm like, we have to do this now, now, now. Let's do this, let's do this. And I actually think it's really good because we balance each other out and inspire each other to do the thing that we need. Like, I have a hard time resting. And I think sometimes I inspire him to, like, get started and dream bigger. Do you think that people... A and B type personalities just need to end up together. How do you two work that out? So I think sometimes opposites attract. Obviously, we have a lot in common, but yeah, we are very different people. And I joke that Sarah likes to lay out in the sun, get a tan, because it's the only way that she can lay still and feel like she's accomplishing something, you know? (laughs) So that's why I think she's very into tanning, because it's a way to rest, but also be, you know, efficiently darkening one's skin at the same time. (laughs) Anyway, I do think that for us anyway, it works well. We've changed each other. We've been together for a long, long time. So after 20 some odd years, it's like, okay, I'm a more driven and focused and organized person because of her. And she's maybe a little bit softer and kinder and and a little more relaxed, hopefully. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's a beautiful thing. Like if you can actually learn to see the wisdom in each other and learn from it and take those qualities on. It can be such a beautiful partnership to be with someone who's different than you. And I just love how you support each other, too. I mean, the reason you're here right now is because she's like, I have to talk about my husband's single. Like, you just both really see and support each other. I mean, having a good partner when you're pursuing a creative life is a make or break thing. Because if somebody doesn't support what you're doing, it's really hard to feel good about it and keep going. Yeah, I will say that I feel very fortunate that I met my person at such a young age. Yeah, so we, we've we had so much time together already, and I feel incredibly fortunate that I found that person at all, let alone so early. And absolutely, it has changed my life for the better. I would never be where I am today without this woman in my life. I think you two are great for each other, and it's really beautiful to hear. So I want to circle back to the Beach EP. You had a lot of great quotes that you shared with me about where this music came from. I'd like to read one. You said, I think the pandemic caused a lot of people to reevaluate their lives in different ways, and especially to question the traditional notions of achievement in America. What's worth the sacrifice and what isn't? It's like we'd all been sleepwalking and the pandemic shook us awake, wondering how and why we ended up here. The theme of wanting something more runs through the Beach EP, whether that's a big life change, a childhood dream, a special someone, or just a beach vacation. Okay, love this. This is all very like on brand with the podcast and pursuing your heart. But why do you think so many of us end up sleepwalking through life? And what is the key to wake up? So for me, the key was moving. When we left New York City, I like to say we left the civilized world. That's not accurate. Obviously, the Dominican Republic is a perfectly civilized place. But I think when you leave a place you can see it more clearly. So a lot of us, not everyone obviously, has had the experience of leaving home, going off to school, pursuing a job somewhere else. And I think for me, at least, when I would go back to New Orleans, I could see it with fresh eyes and it was different than it was before. And, you know, that saying, you can never go back home again. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but for me, it's changed. When I go back to New York now and the United States in general, I really see the commercialism of the United States and how... Every part of our society is geared towards selling us something. And that's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is 
trying to sell you something. You know, television itself is an advertising medium. Everything is to sell you something in America. And so it just all became so much more obvious. And I would be on the subway and I'd look around and be like, wow, this was me going to work every day. And you just see it differently. But why do we do that? Why do we sleepwalk through life? I think about the frog in the pot. It's sort of a gruesome example, but they say that you can put a frog in a pot and if you turn the heat on, it'll just stay there and die as it, the water heats up. I hope no one does this to a frog. But the idea is that like these changes happen so subtly and so slowly that you don't notice. And so something like a pandemic when everyone has to be that the routine is completely destroyed. I think a lot of people were like, whoa, what am I doing? Like, I want to do something totally different with my life. I want to live somewhere different. I want to do a different job. And you've seen this all over the place. People have made some big changes, I think, since then. What did your awakening look like? What did it feel like? How did you change? What was the unwinding of that like for you? I think in my case, it's always kind of been this way that well, I can only speak for myself, but as I've gone through life, I've always felt very individual. I could be a part of a group, but I always felt like I was my own person. I wasn't one of anything. I was just one of me. And so that sort of uniqueness that I always felt about myself has always enabled me to kind of see through a lot of these sort of artifices, if that's the right word. Being in high school, I remember sitting in calculus and saying to the teacher, when am I ever going to use this in my life? Like, come on, I don't need to know the area of an arc on a piece of paper. Like, I'm not going to be a mathematician. I'm not planning on being an engineer. And that teacher actually wrote on my report card for his sake, I hope he's successful in his chosen career. But no, I really feel like I always sort of saw through it all. And I think it's something that Sarah and I have in common. She's extraordinarily insightful about all of it. And I'm just sort of an observer of all of it. But yeah, I think that it hasn't been so much a change for me as something I wanted to communicate. And one of the ways you're communicating it is in this song, Take Me Down. So tell me about this song, the inspiration behind it, how it went from being one of those 30-day songs to now it's a single that's fully out and into the world. So it definitely changed a lot from when I wrote it. I think for me, that was the answer to all of this stuff, to living in New York and it being very expensive and you know, just kind of like, it's a challenge to put together a life in an expensive city and maybe anywhere these days. I guess there was an aha moment in that when we decided to do this, it was because this acquaintance of ours had passed away in his thirties. And it was like, okay, this life is not going to be forever. And we've always talked about living in the Caribbean we had actually talked about having like a tiki bar, but we realized very quickly that that would be an immense amount of work <laughs> that we'd have to do every single day and that maybe we should stick to our own career paths and just live near the Caribbean Ocean and the beach. You could still do like a tiki bar truck, you know, like a mobile. I think maybe that part of the dream has It's gone. To, okay, bye-bye. And we're cool with it. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> bye, you know, tiki you, bar. You, you revise as yes. you go. Yes. But yeah, no, for me, I guess that's your question, right? Really about sort of this move. So we went on a trip to Mexico. We went to Sayulita, Mexico for my wife's college roommate's bachelorette extravaganza. So we went to Sayulita and we met this guy. His name was John Crawford. And he was a, a good friend of hers from home. 
And we spent a week with him and he was the most amazing full of life guy you could meet. And we had a wonderful time. And not six months later or something, he just dropped dead one day. And we were really shaken up by that because you're in your thirties. You don't think like, I'm going to die tomorrow. You think, okay, well, someday. Well, that someday was now for him. And we were like, wow, we do not get to do this forever. And so we looked at each other and we decided to make that big change. So I guess in a way, maybe I was doing a little bit of that sleepwalking that I talk about, but that came for me before the pandemic. I think for me, a lot of people were experiencing the same thing that I had sort of gone through years earlier. So I felt like I could speak to this <laughs> because I had gone through it already. And watching all these people change their lives and everything looked familiar to me. So that was the idea for Take Me Down. And then how would you describe the song? What do you want people to feel when they listen to it? It asks a lot of questions. How do you feel at the end of the day is the first line of the song. And I think I'm encouraging the listener to think about their life and why they're doing the things they're doing. I talk about borrowing your future for a degree. We all sort of just do the things that are expected of us. We go to college, not everyone, but those who can afford it. And what do we learn there? I'm not totally sure. I can say that I learned things that are useful to me, but was it necessary to spend that much money and that much time learning those things? I'm not so sure. I think there are a lot of sort of rites of passage, these hoops we jump through. We don't really think about them. We just do them because everyone does them. And so it's encouraging the listener to think about those things a little bit. And for me, the answer is chuck it all and go to the beach. I love the beach. I guess that's just sort of like the metaphor for whatever it is for you. Live the life you want to live. And it should feel like a bit of an escape. I'm giving you these heavy concepts at the beginning to think about. And then I'm like, let's just chuck it all and be free. Yeah. And it really does feel like that when you listen to it, you're transported. I mean, I just see myself sitting by like a turquoise sea, feet in the sand, a drink in my hand. And I listen to it five times in a row because it just it's fun. Bless you. But it's so good. It also gave me so much peace. So I highly, highly recommend a listen. And you have so many great tips, but I really, I would like to leave people, I want to talk about Billy Joel. We're going to get to that before the, the end yeah, of this. I do tend to leave that out of the story <laughs> of my musical journey. Oh I my should've. gosh. I mean, I want to talk about what a badass you were as such a young man. But also, if you could give one piece of advice for somebody who's trying to follow a big, bold dream, whether it's something like moving to the Caribbean, pursuing a music career, leaving their corporate job, whatever it is. What would you say to them that you wish someone had said to you? I think for me, the answer to that is just trust yourself. You know when things are right for you and, and more importantly, maybe you know when they're not. I think often when you meet a person that there's something off and you just feel it, you just know, like listen to your intuition, trust yourself because I am the kind of person who's very different from my family in a lot of ways. And I think that there have been many times when they don't understand the decisions that I'm making. And I think I knew I was doing the right thing for me and it was okay. I haven't regretted this decision once. And I think probably a lot of people in my life looked at that decision and thought, that's crazy. But like, trust yourself. You know what's right for you. How? How do you trust yourself? How do you let go of the other opinions, especially if they are someone like your family or a close friend who's telling you you're making the wrong choice? How do you let that go and zone back into what you want and need? 
well, this is my wife's department. And if you want to know how to live your life uh, without listening to all the naysayers, you got to read Sarah Knight's books. I'll say that. The newest one is out now. It's yes. called Grow the Fuck Up. <laughs> and I think it's a good refresher course for those of us who need to remember how to be an adult and more importantly, get treated like one. I would say, I don't know the answer to that. That's my wife's department. I love it. Defer to the committee. I mean, well, what she always says is, you know, you can be kind and you can be firm and set a boundary. Setting boundaries actually is kind. I call it like microdosing courage. Like, do it in a small area first, like maybe with the parking attendant where it doesn't feel as crucial. And then you can stair step up to doing it with your mom. <laughs> I think that's great. I love that. Microdosing courage. I think you've got a book in you. Hey, I hope so. It's a dream. But OK, let's talk about one of the most amazing moments. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but like I feel like of your life, I'm living vicariously through you because Billy Joel is my greatest inspiration, like the person whose music has meant the most to me in life. And you sang with him as such a young man at NYU. Explain how this moment happened. Sure. So first and foremost, I should say that I grew up listening to Billy Joel, same as you. Yeah. When we were singing in the car on our way to Florida to see my mom's family, it was often Billy Joel on the radio that we were listening to. I just feel a kinship with this man. He's like my like dad somehow. Yeah. I don't know. Obviously, you understand. So yes. Big daddy energy from Billy Joel, for sure. Big fan. Just a very like blue collar guy. Like really love him. Anyway, I was at NYU and my brother went to the University of Pennsylvania. Billy Joel was doing this college tour and he had gone to University of Pennsylvania. My brother had gone to see it. And someone at that event, it's called, I think, an evening of questions and answers and a little bit of music. Someone said, hey, I'm a piano player. Can I come up and play with you? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Come on up. And so my brother told me this story. Here he's coming to NYU. I'm going to see him. I'm like, maybe I should ask to sing with him. And I was like, nah. And then I kept thinking about it. I was like, you know what? When am I ever going to have an opportunity to do this? When am I ever going to have a chance to sing with my hero? And I was like, screw it, I'm doing it. And so I brought a tape recorder just in case it happened. And I went with my friend Maddie and I was jumping up and down in my seat trying to get him to call on me because he was taking questions from the audience. And then a little timer went off and I was like, oh no, I'm not going to get to do it. Because after I worked myself up to this, it was like, oh, it's not going to happen. Well, the next person he called on was me. So I stood up, I was nervous as hell. And I was like, one of my favorite songs of yours happens to be a duet. It's called Baby Grand. And I was wondering if you would make my life or whatever and let me sing it with you. And he was so cool. He was just like, sure, you want to sing it? Come on up. <laughs> like it was nothing. So I run up there, super awkward. You know, I'm like doing the pray hands. I'm like, this guy is my hero. Oh my God. And he's like, all right, so what do you want to do? He's talking to me. I'm like, I'm talking to Billy Joel. I'm losing my mind that I'm talking to him. I'm like, well, listen, you're the famous one. So maybe you should do the verse about fame and fortune. And he's like, which verse is that? And I'm like, you know what? Anyway, you want to do it is fine with me. And I brought the lyrics from my Billy Joel volume three greatest hits. Because I was like, if I actually do this, the lyrics are going to just leave me. It's going to be so hard to remember the lyrics. So I have this little booklet of lyrics. He's like, you came prepared. And he's like, I'm going to start and I'm just going to nod at you when I want you to come in. I said, sounds great. So we sing the song together. It was amazing. We crushed it. 
I mean, I was on like another plane. I like left my body that night. It was a standing ovation. The place went absolutely nuts. Yeah, it's definitely one of the best nights of my life. Are you kidding? It was amazing. And it's since gone viral on TikTok. Right. So I had a cassette tape recording of it because I'm that old that my friend Maddie had held onto in the audience that night. So I could hear it right away, which is really cool. I found out that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had sponsored the event and they had taken video of the event. So it took months, but I finally got a VHS tape of it in the mail from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was just so cool to have that. And eventually I got it digitized and put it up online. And yeah, I mean, I just it's such a special moment for me. And I think if you're talking about like being genuine, my excitement was so genuine that night. And I think it's just like one of those things that happens that you can't even believe it's happening. And what I love about it, and to circle back to something that went through a lot of our conversation today, he didn't shit on your excitement. He wasn't like, oh, this kid. He was like, he's really good. He even said you have a famous sounding name. He was giving you all the accolades (laughs) because you know what? When you're secure in who you are and in what you do, you don't need to tear other people down. And in fact, you see the goodness in them. And it was just such a beautiful example of how to be. I mean, I cried watching it. it. Also, just to see your young self so bold. It's a lesson we can all learn because I get like, oh, I shouldn't ask someone for that. I shouldn't do that. But you never know unless you ask. So I think this is such a great way to leave people is you never know unless you ask. So you might as well go for it because you might end up singing with Billy Joel. (laughs) Don't be cynical. Look for opportunities for joy and goodness in what you and other people are doing, especially creatively. And don't sleepwalk through life. Go for it. Wake up and create what you want to create. Judd, I am so excited for this new music project. You've got Take Me Down Out Now. The next songs will be coming out over the next few months, this summer and into the fall. I'm so excited for you and for this solo endeavor. I'm excited to share this music. I'm really proud of it. And as we touched upon, I think it's genuinely me. I hope everyone loves it. It's the music I should be making. So I'm really happy about it. I know they will. You listening, go stream his music now. And Judd, thank you for being on the show. You are delightful. Thanks. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my guest, Judd Harris. For more info on Judd, follow him at Judd Harris Music and visit his website, JuddHarris.com. His new single, Take Me Down, is streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your music. It's truly such a fantastic song. I saw on Instagram yesterday that it's actually surpassed 10,000 streams, which is huge. So join the other 10,000 people and go stream it and get more of his music there as well. He's incredible. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks, Liz Full, for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guests at Judd Harris Music so they can share as well. My wish for you this week is you try your version of Judd's 30 songs in 30 days. Go forth and unleash and let me know what you come up with. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.